My name is Andrew. Um, Josephine referenced me a few times. I am on staff here with the college ministry, and I'm super excited to have you guys here. Um, I just want to start off by saying this. I don't know, all, like, I know a lot of you guys in this room. I don't know everyone. Um, some of you guys may have grown up in church, may never have been a church, and we just want to say welcome. Um, if this is your first time doing anything religious, and you're like, what the heck are they doing? They're singing songs, and this dude's up, like, talking about something. We just want to say, like, we hope you embrace it, because... Like, I know it's awkward. I know it can be weird. Um, I also know that if this is, like, your first, like, social event, even stepping into a new church or looking for community, it can be really awkward. And so we just want to say thank you that you're willing to come, be here, be a part of this. And we're just really excited to hop into um, God's Word um, and just see what He has. So, um, yeah. Um, cool. Get going. Uh, I want to start with this, though. Who here has ever, like, met someone and totally forgot their name? Okay. There's about 10 of you freshmen that are like, yo, I met Andrew, and he came up to me and said, dude, is it your first time? Guarantee it's happened multiple times. But um, I want to share this story about this guy that I met. His name is Ben. So uh, me and my wife, we live on the outskirts of Fort Collins. Um, and um, long story short, there was this guy and his wife, and they lived on the same street as us. And we had a mutual friend who was like, hey, Andrew, you need to meet Ben. And they kept telling Ben, like, Ben, you need to meet Andrew. So one day we're walking our dogs. He's walking one way, and I'm walking the other. Um, and we're walking, and we, like, awkwardly look at each other, and you could, like, tell there's, like, this tension of, like, I think I know this is the other person. So, like, I just stop, and if you, once you guys get to know me more, I really, like, don't care. I'll just be like, hey, are you Ben? And if he says no, I'd be like, sick, wrong guy. I'll move on. But he was like, yeah, I am. And he, like, we start, we come, we cross. Um, our dogs, like, hated each other for a second. It was hilarious. Um, and then we, like, exchange numbers. We move on. Long story short, we, like, plan this time to go to this place called Lucille's, which is a restaurant in Fort Collins. Remember that name, Lucille's. Bomb food. Like, just so good. It's like five minutes on the, like, down the street from here. You need to go. But we get, to, right, we get to the day. I come to Lucille's. My wife was working, so she was meeting us there. And I like to get places early. So I, I pull up into, the, like, the street, and I get out of my car, and I'm like, I don't know what Ben looks like. We had, like, a five- to ten-minute conversation. I have no idea what this guy looks like. So I'm just standing there, like, on my phone. You know the awkward person that's, like, standing there, like, oh, yeah, like, just scrolling Instagram. I'm like, I don't know why I'm here. So I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and I look over, and there's this guy looking at me. And it's, like, that weird tension again. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go talk to this guy. It must be Ben. And I start walking up, and two seconds before I'm about to talk, this dude just turns and walks the other way. And I said, thank you. That was not Ben. This would have been so awkward. So luckily, he comes out. We meet um, and we hang out and whatever, but like the point of like what I want to start with that is like what we want to do tonight is I want to take you to a story of encountering, right? Like I met Ben, I got to meet, I got to encounter him, have this story. I never told him that I forgot what he looked like. Um, and I never will to this day. So, um, but I want to I want to spend our night walking through a story, um, a story of two people encountering another one, um, but it's a lot different. So if you have your Bibles. Um, you can go to Luke 8 if you're like, yo, I don't have one, or your phone. We're going to have the verses up here, so don't feel out of place. Um, but in Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56, we're going to read the whole story. It says this. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. 
And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceived that power had gone out for me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. She got up at once, and he directed that someone should be Something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So as you like, as you can tell, there's like these two stories that kind of intertwine, right? We have this woman who's been dealing with this bleeding issue that like what we really know that is just like, yeah, this bleeding issue that's happening um, for 12 years. And then we find out this man, Jairus, um, his daughter is dying um, and he's calling to Jesus, Right? And as we go through these two stories, my goal is to go, as we talk about each one, is to point to the main point of what I believe it's saying, is, and it's this. That Jesus, the one who has authority over all, desires to meet us in our brokenness and heal us. Right? So, as we dive in, the scene is set, right? Jesus is coming back from this land, um, <clears throat> the Gerasene, which... All you need to know, it's a city by a coast. So he was at a coast, he took a boat, he went to another coastal city. But as he gets off, um, there's this man, Jairus, who's a ruler of the synagogue. All the synagogue was is where all the Jewish people met to like do religious worship together. So all we know about Jairus is that he must be a high-standing official inside this synagogue. Um, but Jairus comes, and unlike like, a, a ruler at this time, a high-ranking official, he falls on his hands and like on his face and says, like, Jesus, my daughter is dying. Like, we can tell that something is happening in his heart, right? To put himself to be humbled that low, he, we realize something's wrong. And he, and he tells Jesus about his daughter. <clears throat> so eventually Jesus comes and they start walking. Um, and, and there's this, you know, big crowd that it says, like, have you guys ever been, like, seen a famous person, like, everyone follows him? Right? Last year, um, or a year and a half ago, I went to a Luke Combs concert and he, like, if you guys don't know, he's a country artist. And, he, and he's, like, driving down this, like, road, and people are sprinting after him, like, no, he's not going to talk to any of you. What the heck are you doing? But they're just, like, running after his golf cart. Um, <clears throat> it was actually hilarious to watch. Um, but, like, we all understand. You're like, yeah, famous people. People, like, crowd around him. And that's what's happening to Jesus here. As he's walking to this man's house, this massive crowd is coming around him. And this is where the first encounter that we see happens. Right, so as Jesus is walking, if you've ever walked like in a group, you know that like if someone touches you or hits you, it's like, oh, it's not a big deal. There's a lot of us. So what's interesting is that Jesus walking was probably being touched by all these people, hit, pushed. People were probably wanting to talk to him. There was all these things going on. <clears throat> but what we see is happening is there's this woman. I mean, she has this discharge of blood, and we don't really know what that is. Just what we can assume is that it's not like a normal time of the month bleeding, like whether it's probably something really severe, um, and it's caused her to go to this point of like giving all she has, right? All her money, all her time. She went to doctor to doctor to doctor hoping that something would be fixed, and nothing has happened. So for 12 years, she went through this. 
I don't know if any of you guys have ever been sick for 12 years and nothing fixes it. But what we can assume is that there's a lot of hopelessness. That this woman's in the situation where she's, she's like walking around, she's like, I'm an outcast. Mostly, be, we, we can probably assume that no one wanted to be around her because diseases at that point, if you, did, if you couldn't fix it, people pushed you away because in, their assumption was that I would take it on in some capacity. So she's probably this outcast going around trying to be healed and she can't, and there's hopelessness. And all that happens, she sees this massive crowd coming. And just like any of us, she probably is going like, what's going on? What's happening? What's, what, what is this person about? And they say, oh, that's Jesus, a man that's walking. And, the, and through all of the Bible, we know that this woman has never met Jesus. She's never talked to Jesus, but she's heard about Jesus. What she knows about this man that is walking is that he has done these miraculous miracles to heal people and change people and do all these things. And in her mind, and a last-ditch effort, she goes, if only I can touch him. Like, she's so hopeless. She's like, if I can just touch him, I will be healed. And so what does she do? Outside the crowd, she starts making her way through. Who here has ever been to, like, sat in a mosh pit of a concert? Right? Wow, some of you guys need to get out more. Um, <laughs> Right, if you've ever been in a big crowd or trying to get to the front, like, it's not easy, right? Like, you got to, like, bob and weave or dance your way through, like, and you're probably getting hit, you're getting pushed, people are probably cussing you out, not here, but, like, it's like you're getting, like, ridiculed because everybody wants to be at the front. So I can just imagine this woman with all her might, like, I just got to get there, and she's, she's pushing through, she's probably, like, getting, like, dirty looks, people are probably trying to push her back, all these things so that she can just get to this man and hope something happens. And eventually she gets to the front while Jesus is walking away. She's making her way in, and she finally gets close enough. And she goes and she touches the end of his robes, clothes, like they used to wear long robes. She just touches the end of it. Like, it'd be like touching the back of your shoe. And I don't know why. We don't know why she does this. It's, it's, I'm not sure if it's like, it's like she's like, this is the only thing I touched before. I'm pushed away, and i got to touch it. Or she's like, I don't want to actually t- physically touch him because maybe he would get angry and reject me. I don't know. What's going on? But all I know is she goes up and she touches, his, she touches his robe and immediately she's healed. And that's a big thing to, to hear is that she was healed. Not that she like, just like, it kind of went away for a while. She sat there and said like, I know I'm healed. I don't know what that means or what that looks like. Um, I, the closest thing I can think to is if you've ever like been really, really sick and you go to sleep and you wake up and you're just drenched in sweats and you feel 10 times better because the fever broke. Like, I could just, I, that's the only closest thing I can imagine to is like, this woman just touched him, and it's like, immediate. she's like, I'm healed. Like, the joy to think, like, I touched someone's clothes, and I'm healed. And what I find interesting is the next thing is, like, Jesus, like, stops. And he looks around and says, he realized that he had healed someone. And he looks around, he's talking, he says, who touched me? And everyone's quiet. Everyone's like, what the heck's going on? Even Peter, his like right-hand man is like, Jesus, you're in a crowd. Like, no, duh, someone touched you. Like, it's not, like, that doesn't make sense that someone touched you. It's like, no, he's like, someone touched me. And there's silence and there's silence. And then this, this woman comes forward and, and she like comes to him and says like, I touched you. And this is why. These are all the things that are going on. This, this, and this. And I'm healed. And the thing is, is I don't think Jesus didn't know. Like, Jesus wasn't taken back like, oh, I healed someone. 
Jesus knew who he healed. Jesus understood this woman. Jesus is, is not taken like aback by someone touching him. Jesus knew at this moment, at this time, that somebody would touch him and that he would heal her. And yet we don't know her name, Jesus does. Right? There's this closeness and this love and this care that comes from Jesus in this moment. And the way we see that is by the first word he says to her. He looks at her and says, daughter. Right? For you females in the room, like, like there's just something that like happens like, like, like when you're like your dad or like father figure in your life like calls to you something, right? I have a three-month-old, so she has no idea what the heck I'm saying. Um, but I go up to her, her name's Ivy, and it's like, it's like, oh, like there's something that I say. I'm like, oh, this is my daughter. Like I love her more than all the other three-month-olds out there. Like I don't care about any of them. I was like, this is mine. And like there's something that happens when I say like, oh, this is my daughter. There's something that there's an attachment and a closeness and a love for her. And this is what Jesus is trying to point here. It's like his first thing he looks at and he goes, daughter, because I have known you. Go in peace. <clears throat> right? Jesus doesn't just heal the woman. He reveals the truth of who he is. He's a father, one that cares. Um, I'm gonna sh- who here has ever seen the Chronicles of Narnia? Great. Seen the movies? Terrible. Who's ever read the books? Great. Perfect. So um, I'll give you like as much as I can. If you haven't read them, they're so good. I'm in the middle of reading them and they're phenomenal. But um, there's a scene that happens, right? Aslan, who's the big lion, like the main character, he's supposed to depict Jesus. Um, there's this scene where he, he's, he's creating Narnia and it's this really cool scene. I won't go into details, but he's creating Narnia and he comes out and everything's created. And there's this little boy named Diggory. And Diggory um, has come from Earth to Narnia. He's like, I don't know what the heck's going on. But he watches as Aslan builds this world. And he comes to this point where Diggory realizes, he goes, there's something different about Aslan, something special about him. But what we know about Diggory, if you read the books, is that Diggory's mom has been sick for a very long time, and no, no one has been able to heal her. So Diggory in this story sees Aslan and says, there's something different about him. And there's like all these things going on. There's the because in, in Narnia, the animals talk. So instead of humans, he's trying to get through these animals. They're questioning him, like, what are you? And he runs and he runs and he finally gets to Aslan. He finally makes it. It's like three chapters later through all these things. And he gets to Aslan. He's like, I'm going to ask him to heal my mom. Right? But this conversation ensues because Diggory, on his way into Narnia, led in this evil witch that, if you've ever seen The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, same person. But he lets in this witch, and, and Aslan's like, You need to fix this. Like, you need to go and fix this. And he's like, okay, I'm going to go on this adventure. And right before he goes, he turns to Aslan and says, Aslan, will you please heal my mother? And as he says it, Diggory's standing there, and he realizes that he hasn't looked, he hasn't been looking at Aslan in his eyes, but he's been looking at his feet. And as Diggory looks up, he makes eye contact with Aslan. And Aslan looks at him with tears in his eyes. And in that moment, Diggory realizes that Aslan cared far more for his mother than he ever could. And Aslan says this to him. He says, my son, my son, I know grief is great. Only you and I in this land know that yet. When we tell you that Jesus is someone who's near, Jesus is not just around. He knows us. He knows our sorrow. He knows our hurting. He knows our brokenness. He knows our pain and our burdens. Jesus is not some distant savior who heals us and leaves. He comes near and he holds us just like this woman. 
He knew her pain. He knew her suffering. And his ultimate goal wasn't just to heal this, this physical need. It was to show her he loved her and he cared for her by calling her daughter. Jesus is near and he knows us. That's not right where the story ends, right? It doesn't end there. We continue on. <clears throat> so what happens next is right as Jesus is talking, like healing her, says, peace be with you, he, this, this other man that we don't know comes up and looks at Jairus and says, hey, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Like, I don't know if any of you guys have lost loved ones, but that was like, like when I first read this, I was like, what the heck? This guy's like a jerk. Like, just like, hey, your daughter's dead. Move on. Like, that's kind of the attitude here. Um, and Jesus, like, from one conversation to the next, looks from the woman to Jairus and says, like, don't be afraid. Do not fear. But if you believe, all will be well. And I'm not sure if Jesus is pointing Jairus to like, be like, hey, believe she's still alive or believe she's I don't know what's happening there. But we understand that Jesus knows what's going on. And he continues on walking. So as they come to the house, right, Jesus is like it says, it's like Jesus is walking up and he tells the crowd, like this massive like mob, he says, everyone stay here. Except for these three men who um, are his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, and, his, and the parents of this girl. And they walk into the house and there's all this stuff going on. And so what you need to know is back in these times, um, there was a thing that was like a professional like mourner, like a professional crier. So like what would happen is someone died, these people would come and get paid to do this, which is just insane. They would, they would sit around the family and they would just cry and like mourn as long as like they wanted, like as long as these people wanted them to. That's just wild. Like if, some, if I lost someone and someone just randomly started crying next to me, I'd be like, dude, what are you doing here? Like we're not in this together. I don't know what you're doing. But like all these people are crying. So know that this house is probably like tons of people and very actually, probably very few of them actually knew the girl well. But there's all these people going on. And Jesus enters the house, and he, he walks in. He says, guys, stop weeping and mourning, for she's not dead but asleep. And then they just start laughing at him, which I'll be very honest. If I was in that room, I'd probably laugh too. Like, no, like, like I saw her dead. She's dead. Like, you can't, like, be dead and then not dead. Like, that's just not how it works and, Jesus, and, and this idea that they just didn't understand, that when Jesus was saying that she was sleeping, he wasn't meaning like physically asleep, like we sleep at night. What he was actually pointing to um, was another story that happens in the Bible about the story of Lazarus, who was Jesus' best friend. And in John 11, <clears throat> there's this, it, Jesus finds out that Lazarus is dead. He says this to the, his disciples, his closest people. He says, um, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. So this idea that Jesus is like, she's asleep. Jesus knew she was dead. He knew. But the thing is, just like Lazarus, Jesus had a plan. And so he walks into this room with his three disciples and these parents, and he walks up to this little girl and he grabs her hand. He says, child, arise. And what I find really interesting is she didn't just like open her eyes or like kind of like wake up and still not feel good. She sat up. She was ready to live. Jesus didn't just heal her in this essence of like waking her, like coming back from the dead. She like was ready to get past whatever was there. He healed her and brought her back. Right? Through both of these stories, you hear them. 
And the thing is, Jesus is revealing that sickness and death are under his authority. But he also shows us his heart, that he cares. He heals this woman of bleeding for 12 years, and he raises this 12-year-old girl from the dead. But more than just healing, Jesus looks at this woman and calls her daughter and goes up to this little girl and holds her hand. Jesus isn't just about healing, but he's about knowing. Do you know Jesus? Do you know and have a relationship with him? But right, if I was just to end there, if I was just to be like, yo, have a nice life, pat you on the back, Jesus heals and he knows us. Like that does nothing for us because that's honestly not the main point of what is happening here. Yes, Jesus can heal any physical thing that can happen. Jesus can do anything that he wants to do because he's, he's in control and he's the author. He, he created all of us. He can do anything he wants. What actually Jesus is doing in these stories is he's foreshadowing something to come. Jesus is pointing to something that will come. And it's this. He's pointing to the day that he dies. Right Later on in the book of Luke, we've been in Luke 8, and in Luke 23... It says this, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified Jesus. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saves others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. Right? Saying that Jesus heals and knows us is just, the, is just the tipping point of these stories. Because there's something far greater than our physical needs being healed. There's something far greater than us in some way knowing that like, Jesus can raise us raised to something from death to life. It's this, is that Jesus comes and his death and resurrection was the ultimate healing. And it was the ultimate defeat of death. Because the truth is that everyone in this room, everyone on earth is marked by the same sickness. We are marked by the same death. In Romans 5, another book in the Bible, it says this. It says, for while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And again, in Ephesians chapter 2, another book in the New Testament, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at the work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We've got to realize something. We're like the woman. We're like the little girl. 
We have this, this thing is that we are sick and we don't even know it. We have this sickness of sin, which if you've never heard of what sin is, sin is this. It is the willful and unwillful rebellion and rejection of God as King and Lord of our lives. And here's the thing is we can't cure our sin. There's nothing you can do that can cure or make better your life. I'm sorry to tell you that. And the thing is, is that sickness we can see in ourselves, it has destroyed us, right? It's caused us suffering, brokenness, loneliness, addiction, hopelessness. Sin has engulfed every part of our lives and torn it apart. And the thing is that we don't want to accept sometimes that we are dead, flowing after the passions of our flesh. There's nothing that we do that we actually decide. We are hopeless. And I want you to hear that tonight. As much as I hate and not fun saying it, you are hopeless. But isn't it such a beautiful thing that Jesus, he has met us, that the ultimate point of this story is that Jesus is saying, I will heal this woman, I will raise this girl, but just wait, because in a few years, I will be put on a cross, and all people who are sick will look to me and find healing. All people that are hopeless and broken and need, I will bring you in and I will love you. I will fix all that sin is torn apart, and you that are dead, I will put breath in your lungs, and you will know life. That is the Jesus who meets us. And when I say, yes, you're hopeless, there's a Christ who came and gives you hope. And I also want you to know, if you've never heard this before, you're, there's no being far, far too gone. I remember the first time I heard this, I was a senior in high school. Or I, was, I was just graduated high school. I was coming to college. And I just remember looking at myself and going, look at all the things you did, Andrew. There's no one who can love you. Through all the, all the drinking and the partying and all, all the manipulating, all the things that I did up to this point, I looked at myself and said, Andrew, there's no one who really loves you. And I remember sitting at a place, and I, and I remember being at something like this, but it was, I, I don't know why I even went to this Christian camp, but I did. And I remember looking at this guy, I have no idea what he said, and I all, but all I remember is hearing that Jesus loves you no matter what. And he's looking to bring hope to your hopelessness and to fix that which is broken. If you're here tonight and you think that I'm too far gone, there's, there's, there's things I don't, I've done. Andrew, you don't understand my life. That's fine, I don't. But there's someone who created you that does. And he desires you not to live in your brokenness anymore. He desires to be your father, to love you, and to care for you, and to bring you near. So tonight... And all I, there's two things I ask. The first one is this. If you don't, if you, this is like you've never known Jesus or this church thing or what's going on, like, I just ask you to consider. Would you consider Jesus? Would you consider giving up, chasing after the broken things of this world that will never bring you hope? Would you consider giving up all the things that have left you empty? And come to a God maybe that you don't understand that loves you. And wants to know you. And if you're like, Andrew, I don't really get all this. I'd love to have a conversation with you. Anyone that stood up, that's a life group leader, we'd love to talk to you. And we'd love to show you the Savior that we worship. And for those of you here that are like, yeah, man, I know Jesus. I maybe followed him a long time ago, or I'm following him now, or whatever it may be. I ask this question, do you live your life in light of this truth? 
Do you live your life knowing that Jesus has met you but continues to meet you and he's continually with you? Or do you continue to hold on to your hurt and your pain and your sin because you struggle to believe that Jesus will take it from you? If I can tell you anything, lay it at the feet of the cross. Give to Jesus what he can only bear. You guys will pray with me. Father, I thank you that, yeah, that we just get to walk through this story in Luke of people encountering you, people that are broken and people that are messy and people that think they're too far gone or too, done too many things and they're, they can't be loved or they can't be accepted or they can't share that one thing. But Lord Jesus, you came and you met us and you've redeemed us and you've given us a hope. Lord, I pray that you would just have your way in our hearts and our minds. And Lord, that we can meet you even here tonight. That we would remember that you are not some distant God who's far away. And only if we do the right things that you're near, that we would remember that you are near. A loving Father, that even when we fall short, you pick us up. And you dust us off and you still say we are yours. So Lord, let's just worship you tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen.